Chapter Seventeen of The House with the Twisting Passage by Marion St. John Webb. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Zanusha. The House with the Twisting Passage by Marion St. John Webb Chapter 17 Old Mrs. Bunch's Tale Old Mrs. Bunch looked kindly at Jenny out of her small, beady eyes. I suppose you're wondering who cracked that mirror hanging over there on the wall. Well, I bought it the other day, and there's a story about it. "'And a queer story, too, I can tell you. "'Don't tell me it's unlucky to buy a cracked mirror, "'because I shan't believe you. "'Unlucky fiddlesticks!' "'Jenny had not been going to say anything of the kind. "'I love stories. Would you tell it me?' she begged. "'Mrs. Bunch's eyes twinkled. "'I've got it written down somewhere.' "'just as the mirror told it me.' "'Told it you?' echoed Jenny in a surprised voice. "'That's what I said, wasn't it?' "'Mrs. Bunch began fumbling about her skirt as she went on. "'It's written on a bit of paper in one of my pockets. "'I always have three pockets in every skirt. "'One to put things into, one to take things out of, "'and one for thripney pieces.' Ah, oh, here it is. Now turn on that light, little girl, and come over here on the sofa by me, and I'll read the story out to you. So saying, she unfolded a little packet of paper in her hands, put on her spectacles, and began to read. The Cracked Mirror Of course, if I'd got what I deserved mused the cracked gold-framed mirror that was leaning against a bedpost in the dusty lumber-room. I should be down in the drawing-room, surrounded by a wreath of laurels and an admiring household, instead of packed away in this wretched hole. It's a horribly unjust world. Here am I, vanished because I am worthy of a V.C. And there's Florence, who's never done anything in her life, that hold umbrellas and hats, down in the hall living a life of gaiety in the centre of everything and everybody. She's all very well as hall stands go, but she never had half the attention from visitors that I used to have, and she's disgracefully ignorant. I remember she used to think that V.C. stood for vacuum cleaner. I laughed so much at her stupidity that I made my nail loose. But in spite of her ignorance, she was very sympathetic, was Florence. How she would creak her joints if she could see me now. Ah, oh, me! What pleasant little gossips we used to have together when I hung in the hall. And how she would laugh at my jokes. Laugh till the hats fell off her fingers. And, I remember, I would catch the rays from the electric light and throw them on her of an evening just for fun. Poor thing, how they used to tickle her. 
She always was ticklish, was Florence. Well, I was going to tell you about the deed that I ought to have got a VC for, wasn't I? It was one of the noblest deeds you can imagine. One very foggy evening the family were all having dinner, and Florence and I were chatting quietly together, when the dining-room door opened and Master Tom came out with a letter in his hand, and went out of the front door to the post. After he had come back and gone into the dining-room again, I remember I said to Florence, He hasn't shut the front door properly. And she couldn't contradict me, because the fog was beginning to creep in. Then suddenly we saw the door slowly open wider, and wider, and then a face came round the side and glanced hurriedly up and down the empty hall and staircase. And it was a face, unshaven, wild-eyed, with bent nose and a fringe of hair straggling across the forehead. Another minute, and the man was standing on the hall-mat. His clothes were in keeping with his face. They were simply a mass of rags. I looked across at Florence and said, "'This is outrageous. What does the brute want?' But Florence only said, "'Poor fellow, isn't he thin? "'And that remark will just show you what an absolutely idiotic, sentimental creature Florence was.' I was too disgusted to reply. Then everything happened with a rush. The man grabbed some silver ornaments off a shelf in the hall, took a couple of silver-handled umbrellas away from Florence, and a cloth cap off one of her fingers, and crossed to unhook a small silver photo frame hanging on the wall beneath me. I realised that the matter was urgent, and my mind worked rapidly as I sought for some plan to thwart the thief. I looked across at Florence, but of course she had no ideas. Poor thing, she was completely bewildered, and I expected her to go off into hysterics every minute. Then it happened. Then I did the noble deed. The man raised his head with a jerk, and I caught him a blow with the bottom of my frame. Such a blow that I raised myself off the nail that I'd loosened with laughing, and fell with a crash to the floor. Of course there was a scuttle in the dining-room at once. The door was flung open, and they all rushed out. Meanwhile the man, with a terrified exclamation, dropped all the things and dashed out of the front door into the fog. Some of them ran after him, but they never got him. Worst luck. And when they picked me up, they found a huge crack right across my face. And one of them said, Well, there's one consolation. If the burglar hadn't caught his head on this thing, he'd have got away with our silver. They actually gave the credit of giving the alarm to the burglar. There's ingratitude for you. And then they talk about consolation and stick me away in a fusty lumber room when I saved all their hall silver and probably their lives. You never know. When I think of what a favourite I used to be in the old days, I can't imagine how everyone is managing to get on without me. 
Everyone used to look at me when I hung in the hall, and most of them smiled and patted their hair and ties as they passed me. I remember having an argument about this once with the hall mat. He was a spiteful creature. He'd had his feelings trodden on so much, I suppose, and he said it was themselves, not me, they were looking at and admiring. The idea! I don't know when I laughed so much. I couldn't help being beautiful, instead of brown and bristly like a hall mat, and I couldn't help people admiring me, could I? There was one pretty little fair girl with blue eyes who used to pass through the hall very frequently. Yes, I know they were blue. I had an argument with Florence about the matter, I recollect, and Florence got quite nasty because I wouldn't say her eyes were grey. Anyway, this little girl was very fond of me. She always looked at me and smiled as she went past. Sometimes she would stand in front of me for a long time, looking at me. And one day she threw me a kiss. Even the hall mat liked this little girl, but his was a selfish reason. She used to wear rubber heels on her shoes, and they didn't hurt him so much when she wiped her feet on him. One evening all the family were going out to a party, and I'd just finished throwing electric light rays at Florence, and she was giggling away, when one by one the family came down the stairs with cloaks and shawls on, and stood in the hall waiting. And by and by the mother called, well, Do hurry up, Marjorie. What a time you've been getting ready. Then the little blue-eyed girl appeared at the top of the stairs, and she was white, and her voice trembled as she said, Oh, mother, look what I've done. And she held out a white silk dress with a big hole burnt in the middle of it. Everybody started talking at once, and when they'd quieted down a bit, Marjorie told them how she'd been tidying herself at the looking-glass over the mantelpiece in her bedroom, and she'd stood on the fender, and her dress had got burnt by the fire. Her mother told her it was only what she had known would happen one day, because she was always in front of that looking-glass. Then everybody started talking together again. In the end they all went off to their party, and Marjorie was left behind with her spoilt dress. She hadn't got another one ready to go in. She stood on the whole mat and waved them a careless goodbye, but when the door was shut, she turned round and came up to me. "'I hate you! I hate you! I hate you!' she cried, looking straight at me, and the tears were streaming down her face. "'You vain, stupid thing!' And she turned and fled up the stairs. I was never so amazed in my life. Why should she hate me? Then it dawned on me that what the whole mat had suggested might be true. Just this once. She was looking at herself, not me, on this occasion. But that is the only time the whole mat has ever been right about anything. The other times she was looking at me. I'm sure she was. Oh, when are they coming to fetch me out of this disgusting lumber room?
they might at least have lent me against a wall instead of the top of an iron bedstead with three casters off old mrs bunch folded up the paper in the end they sold the poor thing she said and i bought it on account of its handsome frame only i don't want it to know that one of these days when i've saved up enough thripney pieces i shall have a new glass put in and hang it up in my hall end of chapter seventeen